I think today's gospel is, I mean, they're all important, but today's is crucially important for, inst- for understanding what, one, what is crucially different about Christianity and about Jesus' me- me- message um, and what he commands of us. And also, I think, in, in particular, on the relationship between love and suffering. And Jesus' exchange with Peter should strike us as really weird, because in, in a very sort of natural, intuitive sense, if you love someone, you don't want them to suffer. All right? You want your enemies to suffer, that's sort of natural too. Uh, but you don't want your friends to suffer. And so Jesus talks about the suffering that he's going to endure in Jerusalem, and Peter, who loves Jesus in some way, uh, is not okay with this. And so he pulls him aside, aside and says, you know, God forbid that we, we should let this happen to you. And that God should let this happen to you. Because Peter believes that Jesus is the Christ. So this reading today immediately follows what we heard last week. And Jesus' response to this guy who doesn't want him to suffer is, get behind me, Satan. You know, it's, it's kind of strong. You know, people make a big to-do out of, you know, Donald Trump's tweets, but I don't think he ever called anybody Satan. And here's Jesus calling St. Peter Satan. Get away from me. You know, it's really, like, he's really a very powerful sort of rhetoric here, and he intends it to be. He intends it to be provocative. Because he is trying to teach Peter and us something very different. And so Jesus has this uh, sort of key line. uh, Anyone who would come after me and be my disciple must do three things. Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And I want to talk about each of those things in turn. So first of all, deny himself. What What does it mean to deny ourselves? You know, I think most often we, you know, we think of this in terms of dieting. You know, I'm on a diet, so I'm going to deny myself this cookie um, or something like that. So that's one way to think of denying ourselves. But, and that's a clue, but in the larger sense, I think what Jesus is really asking for is asking us to deny, in a sense, our own happiness being the center of our life. And this brings up a a point that St. Thomas Aquinas makes. And it's a paradox. Uh, Some accuse him of of being contradictory, and he's not contradictory. But he's just stating this paradox that Jesus Jesus has in, in the gospel here. So, the goes like this to St. Thomas. The first point... We all want to be happy. And, and Thomas is inheriting this from the Western theological tra- or philosophical tradition. Plato, Aristotle, all those other ones. We want to be happy. And we can't not want to be happy. We're pre-programmed to want our own happiness. That's number one. Number two, from the Christian tradition and the Jewish tradition, only union with God can make us actually happy. Okay. So we want to be happy, only God can make us happy. But number three, and this is the key one, only when we love God above all else 
only when we love God even more than we love our own happiness can we actually have the thing that makes us happy. And that's the paradox. That to be, to be happy, you have to want something more than being happy. You have to want God. You have to love Him for His own sake. And the question might be, well, okay, well, how do, how do I know... How do I know when I love God above all else? And it can be difficult to discern because we love a lot of things. We have a lot of different things that we value in life. You know, you might, uh, you might value praying to God. You might value your free time. You know, you might value uh, enjoying, uh, you know, sitting in the pine grove. You might value doing your homework. But the fact that you're sitting here tells me, and it tells you, that at least at this moment in time, the thing you value more than sitting in the pine grove and doing your homework is worshiping God. Because when those values come into conflict, you had to choose one and you chose to be here. So that's how you know. When values come into conflict, the one you choose is the one you value more. And so when what I think will make me happy comes into conflict with what I know God wants, if I choose what God wants over my own happiness, then that's an act of love for God. And if I choose what I think will make me happy against what I know God wants, that's sin. So when Jesus says deny himself, it has to mean denying ultimately what we, what we think is going to make us happy, you know, in order to do what God is asking. It's a big thing. You know, he's got a lot packed in this line, and just those two words, to deny ourselves. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big burden. Which brings us to the next segment here. Take up your cross. You must take up his cross. And, you know, part of the problem with this line in 21st century America is that, you know, we, encro- we encounter crosses all the time as images, um, but never in their original context. You know, how many of you, by show of hands, are actually wearing a cross? Okay, fair number. You know, we've got a cross behind you, there's a cross in front of you. You know, there's crosses all over the place. Um, you know, you walk by Dimnit on your way here. Crosses in the bell tower, cross on top. And what's really shocking, you know, to, to, fir- to the first century Jews who heard, who heard the gospel from Jesus' own mouth, take up your cross, is that, you know, to them the cross did not mean the symbol of their religion. It did not mean, it was not a symbol of divine love. Um, it was not a symbol of redemption, of hope, of resurrection. Uh, the cross symbolized two things. Torture and terror. Torture for the person on it and terror for everyone else who saw it. And so you have to understand that the cross in in the historical context was an instrument of intimidation used by the the empire to keep subjugated peoples in line. And just as an example, um, less than 100 years before Jesus was born, uh, there was, I I think it was the second great slave rebellion that the, the empire encountered. Uh, led by Spartacus, you know, a lot of movies about Spartacus. Well, it was an actual gladiator slave, raised an army, 
and went rampaging around the Italian peninsula um, until he finally was defeated in a pitched battle with the Roman legions. And the Romans, never being very kind or forgiving people, took all the survivors of that battle and crucified them on the Via Appia, which goes I think, from Rome and the western side of Italy to Brindisium on the eastern side. It was the busiest road in Italy. And so, and so imagine that. Imagine like walking, you know, from one end of Hope College to the other, where on, you know, every other tree, you saw one of your classmates, you know, nailed to the tree, slowly dying in front of you. And you're listening to this and watching this as you walk around campus. That's the kind of terror that the Romans meant to inspire with the cross. And Jesus tells the first century Jews, who are one of the subjugated peoples, take up your cross. And what does he mean? In a sense, he means to, to really choose and to really accept the suffering that comes into our lives. Because everybody suffers. You know, suffering doesn't make you a Christian. It doesn't make you any different from anybody else who ever lived. Everybody suffers. It's like everybody dies. But what Jesus is calling his disciples to is a different relationship with suffering. To be able to willingly to willingly accept it. You know, St. Paul says in the second reading, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So what does this look like? Well, I think as a church, this is something we try to do in, as a group in Lent. Why do we have Lent? Well, it's a time where we together decide we're going to not just repent of our sins, but we're going to pick up crosses out of love for God. You know, Small things, but, but important things. Pick up these crosses. It can also mean, in a, in a bigger way, uh, uh, the acceptance of a deeper sort of, the deeper suffering in life, things we can't control. But it doesn't mean just having them happen. I mean, again, that could be anybody. But a really choosing to accept the suffering. I think of my grandmother, my mother's mother, as a, as a woman who knew some real suffering in, in her life and, and accepted it with real confidence in God and, all, and sought to do his will. You know, she's, uh, she's an immigrant. She was born in Cuba, um, pretty prominent uh, family, very well-educated woman, um, married a, a doctor, cardiologist, my grandfather, and they had a good life in Cuba. And then the revolution came, and they were very involved with the Catholic Church, and Fidel wasn't too keen on that, and so they had to leave, you know. And they even got to the point, they went to the airport once, they returned back, they went again. And my grandparents said, and I can't imagine doing this, but they said to the family, their four children and, and great-grandma, they said, all right, anybody who can get through is going, anybody who can't is staying, and that's it. And there was just this, this sort of trust in God. This is the way it is, and we're going to do the best we can for our family, for our children. And if that means they get to go to freedom and we don't, okay. And I think even more so about 10 years ago, my grandmother, who at the time was like 88, had some kind of medical difficulty. I don't, I don't know what it was, but uh, it caused horrendous pain. 
you know, my mother said she would go there and, and be with my grandmother in this time and, and she would just be in the bed almost like writhing, you know, and almost overwhelmed by what she was experiencing. And my mother said, like, grandma has an extremely high pain tolerance and for her to be in that kind of pain, she'd never seen it before. And a little while after that, I, I came home and I went to go visit my grandmother and who had recovered by this time, whatever, whatever ailed her had gone away. And she said to me words I'll never forget. She said, Nick, the suffering was terrible. But she said, during the whole time, she said, I never asked God to take it away. I just asked him to give me the grace to endure it. Pick up your cross. And why would Jesus ask that of us? And I think actually there's, there's a great insight from a book I, I read on marketing psychology by Cialdini. It's a classic, classic work of marketing. And Cialdini says, we think that we sacrifice for the things that we value. He says that's kind of true. But he says it's more true, and he established through mark, this research that he had done. We value the things that we sacrifice for. We value the things we sacrifice for. And so when Jesus asks us to pick up our cross, it's because that is the way that we learn to love him. And sacrificing for things is the way we learn to love anything. And that's why Jesus asks it of us. And all this comes together in the third point. So deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. And I think this might be the most important one. Because this is the one that, give, that gives context and meaning and hope to all the other stuff. Because we're programmed to want happiness. And so how is it that we can follow a God who asks us to be unhappy, to choose unhappiness at times? And it's because, one, the meaning of it that in choosing suffering, we're not just choosing suffering to choose suffering, not just choosing suffering to punish ourselves. We're choosing suffering so that we can follow Christ, so that we can experience in ourselves what Jesus experienced out of love for us. Because he knew what we needed. And it was a lot, but his love for us compelled them to choose it, to obey the Father's will, to suffer for our salvation. And so when we do the same thing as Jesus, to choose to suffer out of love, it gives suffering a new meaning. It's not just something that happens to us, you know, something we have to endure. It's something that brings us closer to the one who can make us truly happy. And in following Jesus, the cross gives us hope. Because we know at the end of the day, the cross is not the end of the story for Jesus. That it's the resurrection. That it's the ascension to heaven. And that when we follow Jesus, we're not just following him to Good Friday, but to Easter Sunday. And that, in a sense, takes away a lot of the pain of suffering because we know it's going to end. I remember a Dominican brother of mine who uh, 
going through formation, made solemn vows, made a lifelong commitment to the order, and, uh, and then the provincial decided, I'm not going to ordain you. And this was very disappointing, and he thought about leaving, and he went home to visit his mother. And he's talking to her about this and, and the pain of it. And she said, well, how long is this going to last? And he said, well, this guy's going to be, could be provincial for six years, max. And she said, well, stick it out, son. She said, you can stand up to your neck and poop as long as you know how long it's going to last. And in following Jesus, we know the pain doesn't last forever. That there is perfect joy at the end of it. And that, and knowing that and hoping for that means that the joy of, of, of heaven, the joy of the future, can be present in some small way now. So the pain isn't meaningless and it isn't hopeless. It's the way that we draw closer to the Lord. We draw closer to Him as He's drawn closer to us. So there's a great quote that summarizes this from Hebrews chapter 12. So I want to invite you to close your eyes and I'll just give you this quote to, to think about for a minute. Let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God.